Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. We are in our current teaching series entitled Important Prophecy Terms, and we are taking these seven sets of terms, and we're comparing them, and in more cases than not, we're contrasting them to show the significant difference between these two terms that in a a number of cases you might think are one and the same. And if you do, you will get a a significant misunderstanding of what God's trying to convey to you through his word about prophetic events. So that's why uh, I chose to go ahead and do this series um, of seven sets of prophetic terms before we get into our 30 chronological events that are to come between today and eternity, which is, of course, described in some detail at the end of the book of Revelation. So I've got 30 events that I want to cover, but as I was going through and preparing that uh, series of programs, I realized that um, these key terms were indeed just that. They were key. And that if we didn't have a good grasp of them, that uh, the flow of these events would be easily mistaken and we'd have to take a lot of time to develop them. So I thought, let's develop them up front so that we can come back, particularly if you download the worksheet, which is available at the station, as the announcer has told you, that uh, you can get this and you can go back and refer to it uh, for edification, for clarification, for just a better understanding as you come across these terms during the uh, those 30 events teaching series that will be uh, coming up next, or at least I th- plan to have them come up next. We'll see what the Lord has in store because he certainly changed my direction, um, which I had not planned on in order to put these important prophecy terms uh, in front of us before we got into that overview of um, the prophetic future. So we're in point number one. If you've got your worksheet, it'll make it a whole lot easier to follow along with us because you'll see there's so many scriptures just in this first point, uh, comparing and contrasting the terms the Son of God with the Son of Man. And to understand that difference is so, so important. That's why I have it up front uh, of our seven terms, have it as number one. And we're going through the Son of God portion of it now on our worksheet, and we were looking at the promise that God made through Moses. Uh, For us, it'd be 3,450 years before. Well, 3,400 years before, because this was right at the end of the 40 years in the wilderness when Deuteronomy was written. And basically, Deuteronomy was written to Israel to give them a a understanding of what their future was going to be. And their future in Deuteronomy was told all the way out through the millennial kingdom. Uh, that You may find that hard to believe, but if you just study Deuteronomy, you'll see Israel's whole future laid out there. And God, throughout the Old Testament, 
when when Israel would fall into uh, adultery, spiritual adultery, spiritual harlotry, he would remind them back to Deuteronomy. Remember, you know, it, 700 years, in some cases, 700 years before when I had Moses tell you that here's what would happen to you if you turn your hearts away from me, your God. Here's what I would do to you. Here's what I would allow to be done to you. And that's exactly what's happened. And of course, thank goodness, we learn in Romans 15 that all of what happened to Israel in the Old Testament and how God dealt with them both in a loving way and as a disciplinarian, but also as a redeemer, because at the end of all this, we know that because God's a covenant God, that he redeems Israel and that he will He will give them all the promises uh, that he covenanted with their forefathers. They would all come to pass, but not before they had an extensive, long period of discipline. And that's what uh, Israel has been going through and will continue to go through, and we'll see the ultimate conclusion of all of that discipline during what's called the tribulation. And that is what will bring national Israel, or a portion anyway, of national Israel to a saving knowledge uh, of Jesus Christ. And at that point in time, it, all Israel, as Romans eleven twenty six says, at that point, all Israel will be saved. So that's going to be a glorious future for Israel. But we're being told about Jesus in general. So it's not just to Israel, it's it's to all believers. All believers. We're we're given these wonderful promises. And then Deuteronomy 18, just very quickly, where Moses promised uh, through the leading of the Holy Spirit that there would be a prophet yet future, which in this case would be 1,400 years in the future. A prophet would come from God and that God said, listen to him. The key thing is he said, listen to him. And if you don't listen to him, you will die and be permanently separated from God your Father. And that's what we call hell or the lake of fire. Um, so that, that, that wonderful prophecy was given, and of course it was fulfilled uh, in detail in Jesus Christ. And what we got into a little bit uh, last program was to show you the, the wonderful grace, the wonderful goodness of God that he not only laid that prophecy out for Israel 1,400 years before it happened, but he um, also told them to the day, to the day on the calendar in the year that it would happen when this promised prophet from God, who is Jesus Christ, when he would show up in Jerusalem. And you say, well, that's that's an impossibility. Well, remember, this is God, and nothing is impossible with God. And that's one of the wonderful discoveries you make as you study his prophetic word to see how exact he is and how uh, this, to me, this is one of those fulfillments of Amos 3.7 where it says that God does nothing without sharing his secret counsel with his prophets. And, of course, his prophets is a, refer- is a reference to the writers of the Bible he has given them his secret counsel of everything that he's going to do. Remember Isaiah 46.10 says that I tell you the end of all things from the beginning. This is God's words. I tell you the end of all things from the beginning. I want you to know in detail what I am going to do and how you as a child of God, as a son of God, a believer in Jesus Christ, how you fit in to that plan, how my wife 
Israel fits into that plan, this is God speaking, and how the unbelievers fit into that plan. So it's very detailed. So we got into uh, Daniel chapter 9, and I wanted to go back to Daniel chapter 9 just for a couple of moments and expand on that just a little bit to show you how detailed this prophecy is for Israel. And indeed, it is for Israel. It is for no one else. Uh, We've been taught by different um, teachers and theologians that have taken this and twisted it all out of context. But I think it can't be any more clear when it says in Daniel 9, verse 24, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people. That's pretty specific. That's Israel. And for your holy city, that's very specific. That's Jerusalem. And then it gives things that will take place before the conclusion or at the conclusion of those 70 weeks. And of course, without getting into detail, those those 70 weeks actually are 490 years and it says uh, in 25, so that you know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, this is the uh, decree that was issued by the uh, the Persians, and it was in 445 B.C., and it was issued to rebuild the city. And people get this one mixed up with the prophecy to rebuild the temple in Ezra. And they get their timing all mixed up because they think that's what this prophecy is about. But it's so clear that it says restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So we know that this is the um, Nehemiah prophecy from chapter 2. So we know when this prophecy starts. And this is over 100 years after Daniel wrote this prophecy. So this is obviously the Holy Spirit giving Daniel this understanding it's actually, if you read up there in verse 21 and other places here, it's the angel Gabriel actually coming to Daniel and sharing this, talking with him about this, because Daniel has prayed fervently for an understanding for his people. And this 490 years is divided up. And we find that uh, between verses 25 and 26 here, that the first 483 years culminate are finished in the crucifixion of Christ. So we know from the beginning of this decree to rebuild Jerusalem uh, in 445 using a calendaring method, you can go forward 483 years and it will take you to the day, it'll take you to the day and the week of Jesus' crucifixion. And you say, well, that's crazy. I don't, I don't see how that could possibly be. Well, Jesus even referred to it. Jesus even referred to it. So let's go to another really neat passage, and that's in the New Testament book of Luke. This is in the New Testament book of Luke. And Jesus uh, is concluding his ministry, and he has uh, been placed on the foal of a donkey and is being led across uh, down the slope of the, um, the western slope of the, of the Mount of Olives. And he's crossing the Kidron Valley to go into Jerusalem for his crucifixion week. And he makes an amazing uh, observation and statement in the 19th chapter of Luke. So let's go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And I want to go to verse um, 
41. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. And we're going to read through 44. When he, and this is Jesus, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. And of course, the English word here from the Greek is wept. You actually get into the Greek, the more appropriate term is he wailed. This wasn't a sobbing. This was a wailing. And and he wailed for a good reason. Verse 42, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. So he is referring back to Daniel, and he, he refers back to Daniel in several places in the, um, the New Testament. Jesus does. So if, if, anybody, if anybody tells you that studying the Old Testament is not worth your time because it's about Israel and it's about the Jews and it has nothing to do with you, just kind of politely and in love remind that person that Jesus referred over and over again, as did the apostles, the writers. They referred multiple, multiple times to the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, every book in the Old Testament, with the exception of Esther, every book in the Old Testament, with the exception of Esther, is either referred to by quote, by direct or indirect inference in the book of Revelation. Every book of the Old Testament. So please don't let anybody convince you that a study of the Old Testament is not worth your time. A study of the Old Testament is critical, critical to understanding the New Testament, to understanding you can't really get a full appreciation of the Son of God versus the Son of Man or any of the other terms we're talking about here, unless you have a good grasp, a good understanding of the Old Testament. So please, God gave us these 66 books, and 39 of them are Old Testament. He wouldn't have given them to you if he didn't want you to study them. So it's important that we do that. So we see Jesus referring back, saying, you could know this day, verse 42, but because you did not recognize it, your eyes have now been, um, um, as it turns out, partially blinded, according to Romans eleven twenty five, partially blinded from what this is all about. And he actually talks about, for the days will come upon you, and here he is in 32 A.D. talking about an event that will take place in 70 A.D. when the Romans come and destroy the city and particularly the temple, and tear it down so that one stone does not stand on another. And that's exactly what they did, is they tore down the temple. And Daniel, as a matter of fact, kind of, if you want to, you keep your your hand in Luke 19 and and quickly, just to see it for yourself uh, with your own eyes, is go back to Daniel chapter 9, because Daniel talks about it. And this is Daniel. Here's Jesus prophesying what? Um, 
38 years in the future, but Daniel's prophesying 600 years in the future approximately because he says, um, verse 25 of Daniel chapter 9, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, that's 69 total, it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. And of course, if you study the Old Testament, all of that makes sense. All of that happened. But look at verse 26. Then, after the 62 weeks, so if you look up top there in verse 25, it said seven weeks and 62 weeks. After that second set of 62 weeks, or a total of 69, that's the point, So another way to say it is then after 69 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. So there's the crucifixion, and then look what happens. And the people of the prince who is to come, and that's a direct reference to the Antichrist. So he's going to come out of the the, uh, revived Roman Empire because the people who tore down the city in 70 AD were the Romans. So here's a direct reference to who the Antichrist is. The people of the prince who is to come, <coughs> excuse me, will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war, desolations are determined. So Daniel is not only prophesying the crucifixion of Christ at the end of the 69th week, he's then prophesying another event that would happen soon after that, and that's the destruction of the city and the temple by the Romans exactly the same things that Jesus referred to here in the New Testament in Luke chapter 19. He's basically telling them, as the Son of God, I'm telling you, Israelites, that you could have known this day. In other words, if you had known this in advance, you would not have crucified me. And he talks about that in Acts as well. Or actually, Peter talks about it in Acts after Jesus has been resurrected and uh, translated back to heaven that all of this is relayed, that these people could have known this in advance if they had simply studied the prophetic word in the Scripture. But they chose to deny it and therefore are paying the price for it. So we have that uh, little side uh, trip, if you will, just to take this, this point about the prophecies of Jesus coming, the Son of God coming to Israel prophesied in Deuteronomy 18 is just to take that side trip to show you how wonderful God's prophetic word is, that he wants you to know the detail. And in this case, he was telling Israel, you could know the day. And I've actually gone in, and it it would take some explanation to do it because you need a Julian calendar system, which is what the National Observatory uses to track celestial movements and whatnot. But you use that calendaring system, and it takes you to the day of Jesus uh, entering Jerusalem, just as he did in Luke 19. It takes you to the very day in 32 AD. So it's just an amazing uh, piece of prophetic information that just makes you more sure of God's word. So we're going to um, continue on. We're going to get back into the revelation of Jesus and how important that is in understanding the Son of God in our next program when we get into Matthew chapter 3. We'll be in Matthew chapter 3 then. But we want to get back now to a question, a rather in-depth question, um, 
that was um, given to us by Rich in Indian Springs, and it has to do with the his point, and he's obviously done his Bible study, done some research here, and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's referring specifically to verses 7 and 8, he talks about the restrainer of evil, and he, I believe, um, I agree with him, he, the, the restrainer of evil there in 2 Thessalonians 2 is the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, uh, he's done so so that the Antichrist can come on the earth, uh, or he's already on the earth, but come on the scene as the known identifiable Antichrist to start the seven-year tribulation. And his question is that if the Holy Spirit, the restrainer of evil, is taken out of the way, taken off the earth, then how can the tribulation saints that are described in Revelation chapter 20 be saved? Because there's no Holy Spirit. Well, there is a Holy Spirit, but we need to understand some some interesting facts about how the Holy Spirit manifests himself during the tribulation. It's different from how he manifests himself during the church age that we're currently living in. So what we did in our last program is we went back and read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we read the first 12 verses to get some context there about this restrainer and what the restrainer does. He's the restrainer of evil that when you go through and you, you consider who could this restrainer be, and I've read where theologians have posited several different theories about who this restrainer could be. But there's no no explanation that comes anywhere close to it being the Holy Spirit. So I, I really believe this is the Holy Spirit that is the restrainer of evil. And to understand that the restrainer of evil is on the earth today, that he resides in the church, he indwells the church, he indwells you and me, so you and I are restrainers of evil today. But there's going to be a point in time in the future when the restrainer is going to be taken out of the way, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and he's going to be taken out of the way so that the Antichrist can be revealed. Because the Antichrist is going to be pure, un, uh, unthwarted, unadulterated evil on the earth. And in order to do that, you're going to have to remove righteousness from the earth. And so, therefore, you have the rapture. So what's being described here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in three different places there in those first 12 verses is the rapture of the church, the taking away of the Holy Spirit so that the Antichrist can have free reign on the earth. And, of course, Rich is reading this, and all of us would, and saying, okay, if the Holy Spirit's taken out of the way and he's done, he does that at the very beginning or actually just before the beginning of the tribulation so that the Antichrist can be revealed, how in the world can anybody be saved during the tribulation? Well, the other verse that Rich gave us was in Revelation. So let's go all the way to the end of your Bible there, to the last book, and actually get right towards the very end, chapter 20 out of 22. So that's really close to the end. And let's see what uh, the Holy Spirit is telling John the Revelator. This is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John and wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. So that would make him the second most prolific writer of the New Testament. And he was the uh, beloved of Christ, right? So we are in Revelation chapter 20, and let's look at verse 4. 
It says, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So this is something that happens at the beginning of the thousand-year reign. And as you read Revelation chapter 20, you see that um, Satan, at the beginning of the thousand-year reign, is thrown into a pit where he cannot do any damage um, for a thousand years. And then, of course, he's released later, and we'll, we'll talk about that. That's actually the second Gog-Magog battle that we'll talk about as one of our important prophetic terms in this teaching series. But there are things, several things that happen here, and one of them is that all of the saints who died for their faith, and that's the key word, they died for their faith during the tribulation, will be resurrected to glory, and they will live in their glorified bodies uh, with Christ. And it says as they will come to life at the end of verse 4 and reign with Christ for a thousand years. So we know, Rich, that... Yes, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, those first set of verses there, 1 through 12, to get the whole context, is talking about the restrainer, the Holy Spirit being uh, removed um, from um, the earth so that the Antichrist can be revealed. But the the Antichrist is manifested in several ways, and we know that the Antichrist, my goodness, the Holy Spirit is is manifested in many ways uh, in, over in different times throughout the Bible. And one thing to rest assured of is the Holy Spirit has never left the earth. He's just manifested in different ways. And in this current age that we call the church age, he is indwelling the church. But that doesn't mean that he's not in the world as well. But he is working principally through the church uh, indwelling the church, and it says it indwells forever. In fact, that key word forever that we'll talk about here uh, in a while, scripturally, uh, is very key because if the Holy Spirit indwells you and me forever, when he's taken out of the way, he doesn't leave us to be taken out of the way. He takes us with him because he never leaves us. So that tells you that's the rapture of the church. But the, the key thing is that uh, the Holy Spirit is still working in the world uh, during the tribulation pe- uh, period, even though the church has been removed. So we're going to want to talk about that um, and establish you know, some facts about the Holy Spirit. What I want to do is talk about how God works in the world. Because you know, a question would be, we're talking about the Holy Spirit taken out of the way. Well, why in the world doesn't God himself, the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Uh, We're going to learn that God works through Jesus and God works through the Holy Spirit. Well, why doesn't he just come himself? That's a pretty simple question, but I think we need to answer that uh, to understand why isn't God here walking among us right now uh, himself as opposed to the Holy Spirit, which again is God or Jesus. So we're going to start off in our next um, uh, 
question-answering part of our next program to get into why isn't God here right now himself? Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, the basics from Consider the Ant. Simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.